Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Amongst the chaos at Stamford Bridge yesterday, there was a top draw performance from one of their usual suspects. And James has got away from Guardiola and Sterling scores! But despite being one of the best players on the pitch in Chelsea's 4-4 draw with Manchester City, Raheem Sterling has once again not made the latest England squad. The door is 100% open, not only for Raheem, but for other players that aren't in this squad. So there's no doubt about that. I mean, we don't need to know about... His quality, his personality, he is a crucial part of why the, we've had the, the journey we've had over the last few years. So is Sterling been unfairly overlooked or has Gareth Southgate moved on with new faces such as Chelsea teammate Cole Palmer? I'm Ayoa Kimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us today, we have the Athletics Chelsea writer Simon Johnson, Manchester City writer Sam Lee, and also the Athletics Ollie Kay with us as well. Right. How do we even begin to understand yesterday's match? It was pure entertainment for the neutral. I'm going to come on to you for this one, Sam. Two of the best players for Chelsea were ex-Manchester City players. Will City regret selling those two players to one of their biggest rivals? No. Nobody said this about Sterling last year, did they? Last Sterling was great, but... Where were these questions last year? The funny thing was I made this point. I was the only person making this point last year when everyone was saying, oh, why did they let Jesus and Sinchenko go? I was like, well, why are we mentioning Sterling? Because you don't know how it's going to go. If you're going to sell these guys, there's only certain places they can go. Cole Palmer's a really good example of that because Zinchenko and Jesus went to Arsenal because Arteta knows them and loves them and knows what they can bring. And Cole Palmer's gone to Chelsea because Joe Shields is there and he's known Cole Palmer for years at City because he used to be the head of academy recruitment at City. So he's brought him in there. There's not a string of clubs, a host of clubs who have got the money, particularly in Europe, or the the knowledge of these players to sign them. So there's a, a small, very small group of clubs they could actually go to. But yeah, I mean, nobody was saying this about Sterling last year. And he played he played really well yesterday, but City didn't miss him last year. He didn't light Chelsea up last year. He's doing well now and fair play to him. City wanted to keep Palmer. He wanted to go. Again, fair play to him. He was, he was really good, but I mean, he looks the guy, doesn't he? He looks like the main guy at Chelsea, obviously taking penalties already. Um, in that Spurs game the other night, he looked like he was really clued in and switched on and knew knew the game plan. Again, all these four players I've mentioned going to Arsenal and Chelsea, it shows the level at City, doesn't it? Like These aren't the main guys at City by any means. Sterling was, but not by the time he left. And now they've gone to other clubs and they're, they're really showing how good they are. And yeah, we definitely saw that that yesterday. Yeah, Simon, City's, I guess, losses to a certain degree, uh, Chelsea's gain to a certain degree. I mean, Chelsea just loves scoring goals. What's that, eight goals in the last two games in the Premier League. That's insane. Well, it's a new development because for the first half of the season, goal scoring was the problem. They actually had a run of three games without a goal. I think it was in all competitions, seven in their first seven. Missing chances had become the norm and and all the talk was who are the guys that are going to get the goals and have Chelsea got a centre forward that's good enough, etc, etc. But the floodgates have opened a little bit. There's a bit more confidence at the top end of the pitch. 
Cole Palmer has certainly helped with that. I don't think there's a coincidence there. Also helps when you play against nine men with a, who are playing a very high line. I think I think that was that was kind of uh, helpful too. But make no mistake, this is the performance, the game that is the biggest confidence boost for Chelsea. They've not been able to lay a glove on Manchester City for for over two years since the Champions League final. There's been a golf in class on the pitch. I think there's been a psychological uh, thing with Chelsea as well, with Man City. In a lot of those games, they've kind of sat back and, and Man City have dominated. And it's been a case of when City would get the, the winning goal if they if they don't coast a victory. There's been a few one nils in there, which weren't one nils. They were so comprehensive that Chelsea didn't really even pose a threat. But what we saw on Sunday was a Chelsea side that were willing to actually sort of take City on. And these are the kind of games that, that so far under Pochettino they prefer um, to play against the best teams who are going to attack them because it leaves them space to to do likewise. The real question mark will be when they go against the, the lesser sides and those teams that prefer to defend and whether they can break them down. But but certainly confidence-wise, they're in a much better place now than they were a few weeks ago. Yeah, Chelsea unbeaten against, yeah, I guess, the, the big six, you know, unbeaten against Tottenham, draws with Liverpool, Arsenal, also Manchester City as well. Really interesting way this club is moving. Oli, how do we make sense of that game? And we spoke about the, the Tottenham game just being absolute bonkers. This one was really bonkers. And I think in last week we were talking about this being a very different tactical adventure, really, for, for Pochettino with this squad against Manchester City, a team known for its incredible tactical nouns. But yet the game was so open. Why do you think that was? It's not easy to say because because you, you would have said once Manchester City got into that got into the lead, you know, at least the first time with the penalty, you would have thought they would really take a firm grip of the game, take real control, and I, I don't think they were really able to do that and, and allowed to do that the way they the way they very often do. I mean, Chelsea every time they attacked, it was with real. Speed, energy, you know, the, the way Palmer attacked, the way James overlapped, the way Sterling ran with the ball. And a lot of this, a lot of it was coming from the midfield. And I think Conor Gallagher was a big part of that. I mean, I've, I've seen Enzo Fernandez and Caicedo get a lot of plaudits for really big performance in a big game. But I, I think Conor Gallagher was the one in terms of being a driving force from midfield. He, he brought that to their game. And I think they just, it happens so rarely, but it does feel like, Manchester City were knocked out of their stride for periods of the game. And I want to say periods of the game, I do mean short flurries of the game because between times they, they passed it magnificently as they always do. They scored four goals every, every single attack they had looked high quality. But yeah, I, I think Chelsea turned it into a more chaotic match than perhaps Manchester City were prepared for. I want to talk about Cole Palmer before we move on to the next bit. And I'll, I'll come to you, uh, Simon, in a second. But also, Sam, um, I want to come to you on this one. Obviously, got his call up for the senior England squad, uh, Rico Lewis as well, and Esri Konza. But what was City seeing in this young lad? And I know he wasn't going to get the game time necessarily, so he had to move on. What was City seeing in this lad? Because just before... He moved to Chelsea. We were sort of seeing glimpses of what he could offer, wonder goals. I mean, you know, the, his movement was really beautiful, but you'd imagine it's incredibly hard to break into such a, a powerful City squad. Well, yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. It was, it was difficult to break in. We saw that last season. Guardiola said recently that, you know, in the summer they were talking. He said, look, Riyad Mahrez is going. You will get more chances now. Maybe not necessarily starting as many games as he is at Chelsea. Probably not. But Palmer, knowing that in mind, said, no, I want to go anyway. Um, but, I mean, what did they see in him? He, 
He's been there all the uh, all the way through the academy from like un- under nines when he signed the first contract. Like Rico Lewis, who he said is also in the squad. Great ability in tight spaces, can take a man on. I mean, it, he's never really played off the right too much, but that's the position we kind of associate with him now, cutting inside. But again, like I say, the ability to beat a man and dribble. And just to quickly go back to the question to Ollie about why was it so chaotic? And Ollie said he didn't think that Guardiola expected it to be that way. And he's right. Um, if you look at the team and playing Doku instead of Grealish, you think, oh, maybe he's, he's embracing the chaos. Maybe Guardiola thinks this is going to be a chaotic game. Let's embrace it. Let's use those spaces to counterattack. But he said after the game, he didn't expect it to be so open. But when you're playing to Sterling and, and Palmer and later Mudrick, and they've got that ability to run at you, said you've got no option but to defend in your box. And I think it was for Chelsea's third goal, they switched the ball out to Mudrick. He sprinted down the left, shot inside. But it, it's that thing when you get the ball out to these guys, they cause problems. And to go back to Palmer, Palmer was one of those players who's got the potential to do that. But maybe this sounds like something I would say as a City correspondent, but I think it's fair to say City's high level over the last couple of years, Chelsea's low level over the last year in particular, it's much more likely that Palmer would get a game at Chelsea and show his quality than at City, where Mahrez couldn't even get into the team at the end of last season. We all know how good Riyad Mahrez is. He couldn't get into the team because Bernardo Silva was there. So then you got Cole Palmer a rung below them. So that's why Palmer thought, I'm not waiting around again. I'm off to get my opportunity. But City obviously knew he was quality, but not as quality as Mahrez and Bernardo Silva, which is fair enough. But now he's found a club where he can show that. And again, fair play. Simon, there's a swagger to him, isn't there? I mean, you, you saw him peering in on the free kick uh, discussions. <laughs> He's not afraid, is he? He's not. He's got that street smart. I mean, uh, honestly, I, I say it's a colloquial term but Cole Palmer is road like he, he I feel like he's not left being a young kid and he still brings that onto, onto onto the pitch but also he's got this kind of football know-how that's really interesting to watch he's still very young no one knows where he's going to end up but must be really exciting to see as a Chelsea correspondent yeah I mean he's he's got confidence but he's also got that edge like we saw with that sort of cheeky joining in the Man City huddle I, I thought, yeah, there's a character here. He's not just a guy that is good with the ball at his feet. He's got, he's got the swagger. He's also shown by becoming the penalty taker. I mean, Pochettino said that he's not got a designated penalty taker. He, he basically says, oh, I'll, I'll leave it to the guy that feels the most confident on the pitch. Well, Palmer's basically the most confident on the pitch then because he keeps taking the penalties. And I don't think it can be underestimated taking that penalty under that pressure there was a long wait man city did the 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 perfect sort of dark arts as it were they sort of there were arguments there was that they deliberately obviously made a big fuss of it so to to extend that wait as long as possible and Carl Palmer just stood there with a ball you know just holding the ball sort of like yeah in your own time lad sort of thing magnificent penalty and then he says afterwards oh yeah I don't even practice them I just trust my ability. I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I quite like Daniel Sturridge on on uh, on Sky Sports afterwards when he was saying in the studio, he said um, it was like he was in an igloo whilst waiting for that penalty to be taken. I thought it, it, it just, he is cool Palmer, you know, um, and he's very, very popular already with the Chelsea fan base. The, the run that he went on uh, where he dribbled past the Man City players and, Probably could have gone down and won a penalty, but he, he stayed on his feet, was honest and tried to finish it. One hesitates to put him in this kind of category, but it did bring back memories of Eden Hazard, that kind of run. And that's the kind of magic that's been missing from Chelsea's attack 
since Evan left. That guy that's got the ability to unlock defences. But it is very early days. I don't think... I can understand why people are getting carried away and Chelsea supporters certainly are because they've had so little to get excited about for, for over a year. But there is a lot of hope about this guy and it's remarkable given he's only 21 and and was one of the sort of almost low-key signings that have been made in the Todd Bowley Clear Lake era. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, I'm Michael Cox, tactics writer for The Athletic. And I wrote an article last week about Raheem Sterling and his evolution as a Premier League player. And I made the case that he's basically been three different types of players, or he's had three different eras, and maybe two different types of players. So he's gone from being a dribbler to a poacher to a dribbler again. And when you look at the statistics over the course of his career, there's a lot of evidence to support that. So if you look at, for example, uh, the number of times he's dribbling past opponents per game this season, it's up at 6.1. And that's the highest it's been since he was at Liverpool, which is a long time ago now. Of course, what he brought to his game at Manchester City was a tremendous ability to be a bit of a goal poacher, particularly at the far post. And when you look at the numbers, they're actually very impressive for a player who was often criticised for not being a goal scorer in his early days. He's now on 119 Premier League goals. And I think the interesting thing is that very few percentage of them, only 5%, have been from outside the box. You look at the players who have also scored more than 100 Premier League goals and who have a lesser percentage of goals scored from outside the box. You've got the likes of Peter Crouch, Dion Dublin, Darren Bent, Jamie Vardy, Dwight York, and maybe a more comparable player in Sadio Mane. And so it was interesting to look at Sterling's performance in that thrilling four-all draw between Chelsea and Manchester City because it was a hybrid of the two. On one hand, he was receiving the ball in space close to the touchline and dribbling at speed towards the Manchester City defence. But on the other hand, there was the classic Raheem Sterling goal, the Manchester City era goal against Manchester City. For my money, he's been one of the most consistent attackers in the Premier League this season. And like I say, he's a bit of a hybrid of the two. He's still a goal scorer, but with that old dribbling skill as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Michael. There's more from Michael on Raheem Sterling's evolution over on The Athletic right now. Ollie, did we see the best of him yesterday? 
Yeah, I, I thought it was the best I'd seen him play for a long, long time, really. I mean, I, I thought he was very good against Tottenham on Monday, so, and, and he has been been looking livelier, sharper this season. But I think he, I think these two games, he's really taken it up a level and shown responsibility and, and maturity and leadership and obviously the quality that everybody knows he has. I think there'll be, there will be an element of wanting to prove a point when he plays against Manchester City, but we saw it against Tottenham as, as well the other night. I think he's also keen to prove a point about England. I think he's probably rather miffed that he's not in the, in the England squad at the moment because he's he's playing a lot better than he, he was in that final season at Manchester City when he was in the squad. And he's probably thinking, well, how does that work then? I think the way it works is that the competition for places with England is more intense than it's been for a long, long time. And once you fall out of that England squad, which he did, and then he didn't make himself available for the end of season games because he didn't feel he was fit enough, sort of carrying the legacy of an injury... I think that can impact on a player as well. So I think he looks like somebody who's definitely got a bit between his teeth and keen to uh, prove points to a lot of people. I think if he'd missed one, maybe two international breaks and then come back, you'd think, okay. But it does seem like more of an exodus now. But at the same time, like I alluded to, he wasn't great last season. So you, you can see why he, he fell out of the picture a bit. But going hand in hand with Southgate trusting his guys and then his good form now, it does seem surprising that he's not in the squad. But I almost wonder if the squad had been announced this coming Thursday rather than the one just gone. He might have been in it because I feel like he's taken a big leap on. And the reason we're having this conversation is because he was so good yesterday in particular, but also that Spurs game. But I feel like maybe this one might have tipped the scales a bit in his favour, but it's like a week a week too late because the next international period, the fixtures, that's going to be the start of next year now. So obviously he's got an opportunity to have a good run, but we've had so many already this season. It feels like he's, he's just missed the boat. So on the one hand, it's not too strange given his, his overall form over the last year, but because like Phillips hasn't played at all, let alone had any form, and he's still in. But then I suppose it's about competition for places and in midfield we're only just seeing that now with Rico Lewis getting the call up I think Conor Gallagher could do that kind of box-to-box more defensively switched on role but with Henderson and Phillips still being in the team you see there's almost not a great depth of of options there in midfield maybe similar with Maguire because you still got players like Colwell and Dunk getting in as well but I suppose on the wing you do have more more threat but yeah I'm sure Sterling will be in again if he keeps it up but I guess it's just because he's only just starting to find his best form in the last few weeks. Yeah, 82 England caps and, you know, he's got a lot of those caps under Gareth Southgate as well. Um, You'd like to think that kind of experience, Simon, could really fit well in an England squad going, hopefully, to to win their first trophy since 1966 for the men's team in in particular. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, look, there's no doubt about it that last season was was a big disappointment for him. He had his injury problems too. Certainly post-World Cup, he picked up a, a niggling hamstring injury that, that, that didn't go away, which which kind of was why he he subsequently asked to be left out of the, the June internationals. Um, but one thing that I, that I have been told is, is that very fact, that he is this experienced guy in the dressing room. He's one of the few older guys in that dressing room, um, him and Tiago Silva. And I mean, there's a big age gap there, to be honest, a lot of 11 years. Uh, but that Sterling is very much sort of around the young guys. I, I don't think it could be underestimated. For example, we talked about Cole Palmer. They have a very close bond. I think he would have certainly played a part in Cole Palmer settling in so quickly into life at Stamford Bridge. And, and you do sort of think that that sort of figurehead would be quite useful in, a, in an England squad. Gareth Southgate has done a wonderful job for England. There's no no doubt about it. But 
he does open himself up for criticism in terms of double standards and, and hypocrisy when he talks about I only pick players on form, etc. And then there's there's players in that squad that people will ask question marks. Marcus Rashford would be one of them. Uh, Jack Grealish is not exactly uh, the main guy at Man City, it seems, at the moment. Uh, Doku seems to be stealing his thunder a little bit. But Sterling has to play his way back into that into the into the good books, it seems. I mean, I would actually say he's had a good season from the get-go. Um, his first game against Liverpool, he, he became a threat. The following game, when I remember, well, West Ham, he was suddenly taking players on for fun. Uh, Luton, if you remember the post-match interview game, which was very insightful, he talked about how he, he asked himself questions like, do I want my career to fizzle out or... Should I go, you know, I, I, I can't allow my career to fizzle out like this. And he changed his diet. He, he, he sort of took on the old, uh, intense training during the summer. I think he did a, not far from my, from where I live, actually, he did a day course with, with, uh, the Camberley Judo Club where he went running around the hills nearby. So I don't think anyone could question his, his hunger. And Southgate himself admitted, I think, that, that Sterling wasn't too happy with his first admission. And it does feel like he's not just trying to prove a point to himself, to Chelsea fans, because I think a lot of them were kind of, mm, you're the best paid player at the club and you're not really delivering. But I think that the England thing is definitely what's really motivating him. But I'm not sure that he's going to find a way back. It feels like Southgate has um, really drawn a line in the sand at the moment. Personally, I wouldn't put Grealish and Rashford in the same breath if we're talking about loss of form. Grealish didn't start the season brilliantly and he had a bit of an injury that held him back. But I think when he's come back in recently, he's played at a high level again. It's absolutely right to say that he's got competition for his place from Jeremy Doku. Absolutely. But um, I don't think his position, or if it were up to me, I don't think his position would be under threat as much as you know Rashford, who has you know, been part of a, a struggling United team and has struggled as well. But yeah, in, in terms of there being some uncertainty there... I think Sterling could definitely try and force himself into that equation. But it's also interesting, isn't it? Because on the right-hand side, everyone's kind of clamouring for Foden to play in the team. They want him to play in the middle. But it seems that the the best way they get him to actually play in the middle is when he starts on the right. And that's gone very well recently when Saka's not been around. But obviously Saka's quality as well. So you're always going to have this debate about who should be starting. And if Foden starts... Saka will probably score a hat-trick for Arsenal the weekend before. And people will say, well, he should be in. And you can you can never really win. But... It's it's pretty strong, to be fair. Like, Grealish is still a strong option on the left. Um, Rashford, if he comes back, he is. But providing Sterling carries on his form, then you kind of replicate that situation on the left with him and Grealish is the best options, I think. And then Foden and, and Saka on the right. Like you say, it, it does show how, how high the bar is. But the, the, I still think there is room for Sterling to get back in there. And I suppose the biggest double standard, as alluded to earlier on, is probably with Rashford because... Mm, He's not quite been there, has he? But Rashford, Rashford's played very well for England. That's yeah, a, true. It, it's just it's the, the, the strange thing, you know, over the last... But so well, Sterling, though. Yeah, yeah, but not but not in the recent squads because he hasn't been there. So that's the thing with Maguire. He stays in because he's playing well for England, even, even when he hasn't played well for Manchester United. And Rashford has continued to play well for for, for England when he hasn't... Yeah, yeah, that is, oh, I can't I can't argue. I can't argue any more than that. That is fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you know, previous generation it was you know there were all these players who played brilliantly for Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and didn't play great for England it feels like it's um, almost more the other way around now at times what I quickly think is important for Sterling um, if he is to win this fight is that he is playing 
in his favourite position now on the left. Last season at Chelsea, there are mitigating circumstances other than his injuries issues. Last season, we all know Chelsea was a mess, an absolute mess. He was played in so many different positions. It was it was bonkers, but mainly on the right. But there was a period where he was even playing at wing back. I mean, it was utterly. I don't think he ever knew sort of where he'd be playing from one week to the next. Suddenly, uh, in recent weeks, he's been moved to to the left under uh, Pochettino. Now he's got competition there, of course, with uh, with Mudrik, but he does seem to to revel in it. And he said after. I think it was after the Burnley game where he had a, a hand in all four goals Chelsea scored. He was superb that day as well. That he was like, yeah, this is where I want to play. This is the position I want. And he does look just just genuinely happier where, when he's playing on the left. And if he continues to, to put in these kind of performances, he will be very hard to ignore. But like I said, it is it feels like he almost has to earn Southgate's trust back as well as the other players are playing. No, no, a lot of those players don't have the body of work that Sterling has in an England shirt. This is a guy that was was named in the team of the tournament at, at, at the European last European Championship. So it seems to me that yeah, that seems to have been forgotten a little bit by Southgate. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. Has he upset you? Is there a damaged relationship here that needs to be, you know, made amends about? Has is, is he done anything wrong? No. It's <laughs> uh, an important yeah. question because people will ask that, Gareth, about whether there's a breakdown in the relationship between you and him. But who, who am I leaving out to put him in? What are your thoughts on this, Ollie? I remember there was a reporter recently speaking to Gareth Southgate and he basically said, look, is this personal? Because you've picked him so many times. Obviously, he's turning things around for himself, but perhaps there's something unsaid or unspoken about that just means he's not going to be joining this team. But you, you can't doubt the experience he offers England is invaluable. Experience and quality and personality and know-how in what is otherwise a very young squad, similar in terms of age profile to Chelsea, maybe. And it, it does feel like there's, I don't know, it feels as if there is something of a, a gap there between Southgate and Sterling, which wasn't there before. Um, and when he was when he was Southgate was asked the other day, well, is it personal? Southgate replied, Well, who can I leave out? Because you know, we've got all these players, they're all playing well. We, we started the tournament cycle, you know, the qualifying campaign really well. And that's a bad question. But when Callum Wilson and, and others have, have, have dropped out, it was Cole Palmer who who came in. So it feels like Cole Palmer is yet another who has Leapfrogged Sterling and obviously different roles, different different positions, but it, it is a, it is a strange one because Southgate has. I, I think for all that people accuse Southgate of having favourites and picking people blindly, no matter what, I, there's a long list of players who have been left out of that squad when they've had poor periods and have then come back in again. I mean, John Stones, Marcus Rashford, uh, Kyle Walker, Trent Alexander-Arnold. He he hasn't been one who's closed the door. On players, I would be surprised if he were to close the door on Sterling, and I would be surprised if he's missed out by much this time. But it shows—I mean, what it shows above all, which is a really positive thing—is that the the bar for England selection in all but maybe one or two positions on the pitch is so much higher than it was when Raheem Sterling first broke into that squad a, a decade ago. It's it's it is a really high bar to get into the squad to stay in the squad. So yeah, it's a strange situation. 
but I think people were making less of it before Sunday's game than than subsequently, when, when obviously he played really well. Uh, Sam, how do you think he fits in this Chelsea squad in comparison to when he was at City? Uh, feels like he's allowed to have a bit more of his personality out on show just simply because the rest of the team is relatively inexperienced in comparison to, to Raheem Sterling, whereas you know the goal scoring was intensely good under Pep Guardiola for Raheem Sterling. And he added that to his game, but you felt that that dribbling personality probably wasn't there as much. Uh, in terms of personality, I, I think there's probably just more of a, a focus on it. It's kind of like the Grealish thing when he came. You know, everybody, and to an, ex- to an extent, still does want him to be the player he was at Villa and more of the main man. But you're never going to be that at City, really, especially when you aren't when you're a winger, because you've got to stay on your wing and wait for the ball to come to you and then do your job. So I think Sterling did show his personality and had to. You know, the reason he scored so many goals for City and played so many games and was such a, a key player, certainly in two seasons where they won the league, was because he, he did have that personality, but there's just less of a focus on it because you become another part of a fantastically talented team. We talked about Cole Palmer earlier on, not getting as much game time at City, not through any fault of his own and not really because he was neglected at City, just because that's the situation. We talked about Mahrez and Bernardo Silva being amazing players in competition. Sterling was one of the main guys at City. He wasn't, oh, you know, well, he's, he's got competition for this guy. He was one of the main guys. So he did have that personality. He was able to show it. The dribbling was a, a big part of his game. Maybe not, you know, from the halfway line. Guardiola said the other week when he was talking about Doku now, who, another player who is able to show off his dribbling. He was like, there's a time and a place for it. You know, if, if you're 40 yards from goal, I don't, I don't like it. But if you're on the edge of the box, 18-yard box, then that's when you do it. So maybe with Sterling, it was possibly a bit more focused. You're waiting until that zone, like Grealish, when you can show your best. But in terms of his personality, I think I think he showed his, his quality and, and his ability and that personality a lot. But I just think at Chelsea, again, I'm not having a go, but he's one of the better players at Chelsea, whereas at City, he was one of 10. And I think it, there's just more more to draw the eye, more reason to draw the eye to him and Palmer at Chelsea than there would be at City. I think that's the only difference, really. Or maybe he's allowed to dribble with it a bit more and further out, but I, I'm, I'm, I think, I think it's more optics rather than style. What I noticed on Sunday, I haven't seen Carl Walker be given that kind of run around for a long time. Sam will know better than me, obviously. I thought Walker did well in the game, but you're right. He had a, that it was the, the toughest game he's had for a while especially I think City fans would point to the Real Madrid games he did really well against Vinicius Junior last season so it kind of goes to show you the level that Sterling was at on Sunday but again like talk about to go back to the lack of control it's not often that they get attacked again and again and again it reminds me of the three-all draw at Newcastle at the start of last season when he that was probably the last most difficult game or the the game that looked most difficult from the outside when Alan Saint-Maximin was getting the ball one-on-one and running at him, running at him, running at him. Sterling probably gave him the toughest game since then and that was about September last year, I think. So yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, he seemed to he seemed to enjoy himself. There were a few nutmegs, not just on Carl Walker, but he, he seemed to be enjoying the old nutmeg trick. But And and that, I think, just sort of shows the kind of confidence he's in too. He's definitely in a much better frame of mind this season than he was last, where you know perhaps the pressure as well of being Chelsea's marquee signing so yeah, he has to deliver. He knows he has to deliver. I think, I think the powers that be at Chelsea were kind of looking at Raheem Sterling this season, going, "You got to prove it to us," kind of thing, because Sterling and Koulibaly were the last sort of big payers uh, in terms of contracts, and also 
neither of them have got the uh, were given the Champions League clause of of a pay cut. So Chelsea are going one way with their wage bill. They're trying to lower it, and you've got a guy here that's on significantly more than the likes of Enzo Fernandez and Mudrik, sort of newer signings that are high profile. So he has to deliver. And I think he's responding to that challenge. Yeah. At 28, though, I mean, he's still, he's not even 32 yet. And he's sort of the, the elder statesman next to Thiago Silva, who's definitely nearing 40. I mean, that, that experience for, for such a young team, Ollie, is invaluable. And, uh, I mean, personally, from a football fan's perspective, it's a joy to watch him flourish under, I guess, an environment that's probably very chaotic. Yeah, well, it certainly looked chaotic last season and looked chaotic for the first, whatever it was, 10, nine, 10 games of this season. It's it's just such an unusual way to go about assembling a squad. I don't quite know whether they've ended up at this point by accident or whether it's 100% a, a clear strategy in their minds. Um but they've got so many younger players. I mean, you look, you look at the midfield options and it's all 23 and less. It's just an extremely young squad. Obviously, the, in terms of the average age, it's absolutely warped by the fact they have Thiago Silva there. <laughs> what, 38, 39? And then, and then it's Sterling. And then there's a couple more like Chilwell and Koku, Kukurea, uh, who are who are mid-20s. But it's just such a young squad. And it is going to need people not just Sterling, but but Chilwell and others to to step up and show the real responsibility and, and know-how and, and help dig them out of those difficult games. There have been a few games in the early months of the season where there's been a really conspicuous lack of um, know-how, lack of real grit in the team at times, and they've lost games that they've been in positions to win. The West Ham one springs to mind. But it's that should grow uh, as the season grows goes on. I mean, Casado, Fernandez, people like that, Gallagher, they should be looking more battle-hardened and more ready and more mature as the season goes on. And I think having people like Sterling in there alongside them should should really help. Yeah, well, let's leave it there. Thanks, Sam, Simon and Ollie as well. And do please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Thank you, gents, for joining me. And also thank you a lot for listening. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.